And Christmas can be a bit like that. Tradition plays a big part of what we do. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. Traditions can bring a sense of rhythm to our year. And with different activities, we can look forward to and enjoy um, them precisely because we don't do them throughout the year. And a lot of it is about being at home, which begs the question, what makes you feel at home at Christmas? Who here does not consider England to be their home country or their home culture? Put your hands up. England isn't your home culture, okay? At least two. I know there are more. There we go, a few more. Okay, yeah, a few more at the back, good. So if this is your first Christmas in England, you might not feel as Christmassy as normal. Now, I'm sure many of you know that although Christmas is celebrated at roughly the same time around the world, there are some quite different Christmas traditions. So, for example, this picture here is the Garvel, I think I'm pronouncing that right, the Garvel goat. The Garvel goat is a traditional Christmas display put up annually in central Garvel, Sweden. It's a giant version of a traditional Swedish Yule goat figure made of straw, built each year by local community groups and the local council at the beginning of Advent over a period of two days. Now, as I read about this tradition, I, I find it quite amusing because there's been a sort of an alternative tradition that's grown up around this goat. Um, and probably very annoyingly for the local council, the idea is to burn it down. And it's been the subject of repeated arson attacks um, throughout the years. Despite increased security measures and the nearby fire station, the goat has burned to the ground most years <laughs> since its appearance in 1966. As of last year, 38 out, out of the 56 goats have been destroyed or damaged in some way. And it is illegal. People have been arrested over the years, but it doesn't seem to have deterred them. There is a live webcam online if you want to check it out. As of last night, it was still standing and, and all is well. Next slide, please. This, this tradition back, dates back to the 1970s in Japan. Do we have any Japanese here? Okay, so I can't verify if this is actually true or not, but apparently, apparently um, KFC has become a tradition in Japan. After World War II, um, Japan began to experience economic growth, and there was a lot of interest in Western culture, especially the USA. And fast food restaurants opened all over the country. And Japan wasn't really a, a Christian country. So it was getting all this sort of Christian Christmas, uh, you know, culture, but not really knowing what, what it was about. So KFC saw a gap in the market. And they launched Kentucky for Christmas. <laughs> KFC. And nowadays, it is a part of the Japanese culture uh, at Christmas time with families enjoying KFC together, and December is their busiest time of the year. Next slide. 
Now, this one might feel a little more familiar. Uh, little Candles Day marks the start of the Christmas season across Colombia in South America. Colombia is a Catholic country. So in honor of the Virgin Mary and the Immaculate Conception, uh, people place candles and paper lanterns in their windows, balconies, and front yards. And the tradition has uh, grown, and now entire towns and cities uh, across the country are lit up with elaborate displays, and it's quite normal for neighborhoods to compete. And then, of course, there are your own family traditions. So it's my birthday tomorrow. Yeah. And when I was a kid, it became a family tradition to put the tree up on my birthday. And you can imagine how intoxicatingly exciting this time of the year was for me. But now, in our family, my daughter Lavella's birthday is on December the 4th. So we've changed that tradition to her birthday, and that activity of putting up the tree now adds to the excitement of both her birthday and the build-up to Christmas. And it's a lovely uh, tradition, and it, and it will be, I'm sure, treasured in our family for many years to come. There are so many variables around what makes home feel like home at Christmas. Christmas movies you always watch, your favorite Christmas carols, what food you prepare and eat, what you get in your stockings, if you even have stockings. But it's all nonsense. Really, it is. It's just nonsense. Whether or not you love Brussels sprouts or hate them. By the way, the sandwiches we made today have Brussels sprouts and the mashed up with bacon looks lovely. Enjoy. Whether you have brandy, butter, or just cream with your Christmas pudding, whether you use oversized socks or pillowcases for stockings, whether your local council funds and builds a giant goat out of straw and then spends even more trying to prevent it from being burned down, or not, it's utterly pointless and complete nonsense. Now, I'm not a killjoy. I love home comforts. I am looking forward to this time off work, to to spending precious moments with my family. I am looking forward to the food. And I prefer brandy butter with my Christmas pudding, in case you're wondering. But in the face of what Christmas is really about, it is utter nonsense. How our homes make us feel welcome at Christmas is totally subjective. It's different for everyone. And that's fine. It's lovely. It's a joy to learn about different national traditions or, or family traditions to celebrate Christmas. But the subjective nature of what makes Christmas feel like home makes the subject of Christmas objectively critical. If Christmas can look a million different ways to a million different people, then the thing that Christmas is about needs to be clear. So what is going on here? I mean, what makes a whole nation, maybe half the world, come to a standstill on Christmas morning? 
there is the moment of incarnation. When the triune God, reigning supreme over the universe, became flesh and bone. It is the most profound, mind-boggling, audacious, incredible moment in history, full stop. This is what the pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul wrote. What we celebrate at Christmas is, is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. This is how the author J.I. Packer reflects on Christmas. It is here, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the most profound, unfathomable depth of the Christian revelation lies. God became man. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Do we have any physicists in the room? Wow, we do. I didn't know if we would. Brilliant. So you'd know better than me that physics is the scientific study, right, of matter, energy, time, and space. Is that about right? Yeah, good. And physicists study everything from tiny atoms and molecules to the workings of matter and energy across the universe. So from the, the tiniest stuff to the biggest stuff, basically, and everything in between. So how about this for a quote from the theologian Has Erz von Balthasar. Christmas is not an event in history, but is rather the invasion of time by eternity. That's a theologian saying that. Not a physicist. Let me read it again. Christmas is not an event in history, but is rather the invasion of time by eternity. Now, whether you believe in Jesus or not, that is what Christmas is about. Can you imagine that on a physics or philosophy exam at A-level or university? The invasion of time by eternity discussed. What would you write? Where would you even start? Well, this is what the Bible says. Let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
the longer you spend reflecting on this, the more fantastical it becomes. And that's kind of how it should be. In our small group at the moment, we are currently studying the book of James. And this is what it says in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And we talked through this in our small group, and I was struck by this imagery of just looking at yourself in the mirror and then walking away and, and quickly forgetting what you look like. And I get it. I've sat through haircuts that have taken 30 minutes, and I'm looking at myself the whole time in the mirror, and the hairdresser's cutting it shorter and shorter, and I'm like, please stop, but I dare not say anything because I'm British. And he keeps going. And then he holds up a mirror at the back and goes, what do you think? I'm like, oh, great, really good job, thanks. And then I go home, and what's the first thing I do? I go and look in a mirror because I want to check if it's as bad as it was just 30 minutes ago. The point James is making is, is are we doing that with our faith? Are we so shallow that we forget just after 20 minutes? Is that how we should be treating our faith? And I don't think he's condemning us. He's giving very practical advice. Looking into the mirror is just its surface level only. Not to mention that you're just looking at yourself. Instead, looking intently into the perfect law to spend time reading, studying, praying through thinking about God's word, it will change you. It will change how you see life. The incarnation shouldn't be a nativity scene that we just walk past in a shopping center and then immediately forget about. Instead, God gives us, he invites us to stop and look intently into it, to study God's word, dig deep, Understand the significance of every single detail. When talking about Advent as a family this year, we've talked about how the build-up to Christmas isn't actually a calendar with chocolates in. Not even the Christian-themed ones, which we weren't organized enough to order this year. Advent literally means waiting, and preparing. You could say that Advent calendars are symbolic of Mary and her pregnancy. And what an Advent that was. In one sense, her pregnancy was the first Christmas Advent. And she and Joseph and those around them who knew what was going on waited and prepared themselves for this most incredible promise. But even Mary's pregnancy was symbolic 
of awaiting and preparing that began way back in Genesis chapter 3 when we read about the fall of mankind after Adam and Eve listened to the lies of Satan, ate the forbidden, su- uh, forbidden fruit and sin and death took their grip on the world. And from that point on, the world was in waiting. Waiting for a savior to, savior to break that curse and defeat death. And the whole Old Testament is building, building, building with hundreds of prophecies leading up to this incredible moment in history where eternity invades time. How? As a baby. We're way beyond just a reflection in a mirror described in the book of James. It's like we've put on a virtual reality headset and we're walking through space and time because the story just gets more and more incredible. And it seems obvious when I say it, but I think it needs to be said that Jesus didn't become Jesus when he was born to Mary. He didn't become God's son as a result of the incarnation. Jesus has existed as God's son, as part of the triune Godhead for eternity. The whole Bible is this dance of revelation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've already read about how the word was with God in the beginning. And everything was created through him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see it throughout the Bible. The the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament wrote, for a child will be born for us. We've heard this verse already this morning. A son will be given to us. This is the Old Testament. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Or when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, as recorded in Matthew 1.23, he said, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Or Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, which quotes the Psalms, where it writes, but to the Son, your throne God is forever and ever. In Timothy 3.16, it reads, And most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh. Or how about this in Colossians 2.9, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Christmas isn't about Jesus becoming Jesus. It's about Jesus, the eternal God, being born to a woman. And the reason eternity invaded time was to become a baby. Jesus didn't pause time and open up the sky and announce to the world that he existed in an awesome act of power like something out of a Marvel film. 
the, the, the master of the universe who holds time in his hands became subject to it in the most vulnerable way possible. The, the theologian Balthasar, again, this time, turns from physics to poetry and puts it like this. Follow along with me. The divine ocean forced into the tiny wellspring of a human heart. The mighty oak tree of divinity planted in the small, fragile pot of an earthly heart. The eternal God's awareness of his kingship pressed into the ignorance of human debasement. All the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge stored in the, the narrow chamber of human poverty. The vision of the eternal Father shrouded in the intuitions of both obscurity. The rock of divine certainty floating on the tides of an earthly hope. The triangle of the Trinity, by one, balanced by one tip upon a human heart. <laughs> Note how every line ends with an exclamation mark. I imagine the writer caught off in a moment of inspiration and writing out these examples of, of opposite extremes, one after the other, to make the point, adding exclamation marks, and yet still not able to find the words to fully express just how remarkable the reality is of God becoming not just a human constrained to time, space, and matter, but as a baby, completely dependent. In fact, this point of the incarnation occurring as a baby born to a human mother further adds to the story because God doesn't miss a trick. He's not leaving anything to chance. As well as being the most vulnerable way, it is also the most relatable way to the human condition. Charles Dickens puts it nicely. It is good to be children sometimes and never better than Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. This theme of childhood and the parent-child relationship is a recurring theme throughout scripture. It speaks to the loving, protective, nurturing nature of God. Abraham and his son Isaac, Jacob and his son Joseph, Jesse and his son David, the story of the prodigal son, and of course Mary and the baby, Jesus. Everything about Jesus is intentional. And everything about Jesus is about salvation. In just the same way, Christmas is so familiar to us. Waiting for the Messiah was familiar to the Jews. Prior to this first Christmas, they had been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. So when Gabriel appeared to the shepherds, 
who would have been entirely familiar about this wait for a Messiah, what did he say? This is how the New Living Translation puts it in Luke. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that, you will, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Remember, we're looking intently into scripture here. We're not settling with a surface level understanding of the story behind Christmas. You see, the incarnation is God's personal act of salvation. Coming to us as a baby. Because what does Jesus himself say that is required if we are to be saved? Can you see this full picture coming together? Because Jesus said that we need to be born again. Let's read chapter, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Have you just been walking past those nativity scenes and forgetting about them? You do realize that massive straw goats have nothing to do with you, don't you? Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus was born as a baby so we could be taught to be born again. Jesus personally embodied that spiritual reality that we have to go through to be saved. Jesus doesn't just teach the way, he is the way. Jesus doesn't just teach the truth, he is the truth. Jesus doesn't just teach that we should be born again, he was born. Can you see how a deeper look into Christmas reveals it to be the central, elemental event of the gospel message? Did you know that Christianity is the only religion that teaches of a God who comes down to us? Every other religion teaches that we have to earn our way to God or to the afterlife. In the Bible, we learn of a God who comes to us as a baby in order to reveal to us that to enter his kingdom, we need to be born again. This invasion by eternity, this invasion of time by eternity in the form of a baby is to invite us out of time into eternity in the form of of a baby. This invasion of time by eternity in the form of a baby is to invite us out of time into eternity in the form of a baby. The Christmas story is the gospel message. This Christmas, are you feeling vulnerable, fragile, tender? Dependent. Jesus understands. Jesus was once that way. He started that way and he, he died that way. And it's a good place to be because you have a heavenly father who expects you to be totally dependent on him who has waited for you and who welcomes you home as a child born into his family. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, we read, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. The gospel message is wrapped around Christmas like swaddling clothes were wrapped around the baby Jesus. Can I say that again? The gospel message, the message of salvation, the whole point of Christianity 
is wrapped around Christmas like the swaddling clothes were wrapped around the baby Jesus. Babies need a home. We can see in the Christmas story that a home doesn't necessarily mean anything fancy. It can mean a scratchy bed of straw in a room shared with cows and sheep. As long as there is a doting mum and dad who treasure you, who can cater for your every single need. Now I know that's not everyone's experience of home as a child. But it is the picture that God wants us to have when he welcomes us home as a father. The next Christmas carol we're going to sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, has one of my favorite Christmas carol lines. And it also echoes Balthasar's quote about eternity invading time. If the worship team want to come up. This is the quote. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Enjoy your Brussels sprouts this Christmas. Or your KFC. Or your giant straw goat. But also look intently into the word who became flesh. Marvel at the breadth and the depth of it. And how the whole Bible leads to and then works from this moment when eternity invaded time in the form of a baby. Let this story of Jesus shape your life and how you live. Because as it says in James chapter 1, if you do, you will be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we are so thankful that you revealed yourself to us in this way. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the scriptures to turn to, to learn more of your character, to learn more about you as creator God, living outside of time, matter, and space, chose to come to us in the most vulnerable way so that we can come to you in the most vulnerable way. Well, thank you that everything you everything you reveal to us in your word is about you and it's about salvation and it's about how you are welcoming us home. Lord, and I pray that this would be truly understood this Christmas by each of us here. Let us, Lord, enjoy the celebration of Christmas, but let us also reflect on this most remarkable time in history. And Lord, and let us be thankful that we can enter into this story by becoming adopted into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.